we're back. Another episode of Talking Maiden. The podcast of the beast. How you doing, Nesbitt? I'm doing good. All right. Peace of mind. Peace of mind. Finally, we get to it. I know. I know we've been talking about this for a while, but... We have. We've been... We had a bunch of stuff to clean up before we got here. Yep. A bunch of loose ends to tie up because yeah. when we get into an album, we we like to stick at it and focus on it. It seems like a long time since we did an album. Fear it the feels Dark. like it. Yeah. Uh, it does and it doesn't. Um, the Fear of the Dark. That's because we were to, dealing with like the blowback. The blowback, from, exactly. <laughs> from Fear of the Dark for so long. Exactly. But that ended, you know, the high 90s before the 100th yeah. episode. So that's a while back now. But it feels like we just finished it because we've been replying to comments and emails. Yeah, we're still emails and, with that one. Yeah. Um, I can't wait to do this one. Fear of the Dark. I yeah. said it was my least favorite album. Yeah. I still think it is. If you thought we were hard on Fear of the Dark, wait till you hear my take on this piece of mine. More like piece of crap. <laughs> Burn. Burn. But, uh, yeah, I don't like doing these those episodes where we're like, it's like negative. Yeah. I hate like talking bad about Maiden even, but I mean, yeah. Fear of the Dark had a lot of stuff to criticize. I, I don't know. But this one is going to be like a bit of a different story, I think. Yeah. I like to be positive about when I'm talking about Maiden. I don't like talking about The negative, negative side. Yeah. Well, you got to be honest, too. You hold them to a high standard. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, it's a double-edged sword, isn't yeah. it? If you hold something to a high standard and then something isn't their best work, then you have to point that out. Yeah. But uh, This is, I think, some of their best work. Yeah. Well, we'll see when we get into it. Yeah, absolutely. Let's get into this beer. Let's get into the beer right away. We're going to so get what, going. What did you this, bring? This is a Landwash Brewery beer. Um, it's called Hazer's Rock. So this is that brewery out in uh, Mount Pearl. Right. Um, yeah, Hazer's Rock Breakfast stout, 6.5%. Oh, nice. Breakfast stout. Cool. Yeah. Do not spend your time worrying about those wasted beers. Yeah, so I was out in uh, Mount Pearl. Oh, this looks good. It's really dark. Looks, I love stouts, too. Looks fantastic. This time of year, too. Yeah. I'm getting into the winter. I'm right it. into stouts and porters now. That's excellent. But Summertime, anyway. I always want to drink like really hoppy stuff, and then the winter comes, and I want these dark beers. Yeah, absolutely. But I would say this brewery here, this Landwash Brewery, which is in Mount Pearl, um, which is a kind of a funny relationship for us in St. John's. It's this little like Shelbyville Springfield thing. Only there. Yeah, there's a bit of a yeah, a bit of a rivalry. rivalry. Um, but I think this is probably the best. It's definitely the best brewery in the city. In it Mount might Pearl? be the best. Yes, absolutely. I think it's the only brewery in Mount Pearl. No, in the in the whole in, oh, the, in, the, whole in the greater, greater area, area. Yeah, all yeah. of the Avalon Peninsula, even. Um, yeah, the only the only beer the only brewery I would put ahead of Landwash is the Port Rexton Brewery. We've yeah, done a probably. bunch of their beers. Yeah, these guys have great beers. It's mm. oh, excellent. That's a really good stout. I love stouts too. That's excellent. It's that's got a real good. Uh, <laughs> it's very smooth and thick tasting, which I like. Oh dear. And you can taste a little bit of alcohol off it, but it's like balanced. Oh, this might be a fifteen minute episode. <laughs> so I'm gonna need another beer. Um, mm. peace of mind. Yes, peace of mind. So, should we get into it? Let's get into Before it. Before we get into it, I'm going to open this. Okay. We open the beer. This is the Peace of Mind Eddie action figure. It's NECA, Iron Maiden Peace of Mind. It's the big action figure. That was... It's uh, big. It's like the size of yeah. a Barbie, but it's yeah. an Eddie. You got that like uh what? So, my buddy Mike gave it to us. Yeah. Me and Josh's buddy Mike gave me this. Yeah. And I said I was going to open it when we did this album. Yeah. Uh, I didn't realize it would be like a year and a half yeah. later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So, open it up. It's a very detailed Eddie in straight jacket. Yeah, that's gorgeous. The chains. Uh, this is very cool. But I'm going to uh, lean him on the table. He can inspire us while we talk about peace of mind. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> it's a very detailed action figure. That's cool. And this album for me toy, uh, represents my first digipack. 
I ordered the digipacks. Right, you're into the digipacks now. I was like, I'm not going to get them. I'm not going to get them. I'm not going to get them. Yeah. I bought a couple, and then I was like, oh, I guess I'm going to get them all now. <laughs> now, I really like the digipack feel versus the, the like, I'm just, case? yeah, I like it a lot more. Yeah, me too. Um, even though it might take a, a ding here and there, uh, it's not really too worried about that. I love the booklets in them. Um, people have talked about the sound quality. I don't notice a big difference. If you I listen think. to them back to back, yeah, I think you would notice a bit of a difference. Well, I did with the X Factor anyway. Yeah, but peace of mind, I have it digitally. I have the original vinyl and a good pressing. And yep. now I have this. I listen to the vinyl on my vinyl system. I listen to the digital on my headphones. I listen to this in my truck. So the nuance is more related to the stereos oh, and yeah. stuff. But I've I've now got all the digipacks oh, in nice. various stages of being ordered and or given to me by Christmas oh, nice. and family. <laughs> because they're just, it's just awesome for listening to, to put it in your vehicle. Like, oh, it's so I know. much I've better. started doing that too. I just throw a CD in, a, in the car and just listen to it. Yeah. So anyway, I uh, I really enjoyed listening to this. And, and the funny part is it's the opposite to normal because I haven't listened to the vinyl that much. Just a bit. Yeah. But I've had the vinyl for quite a while. And uh, But anyway, I've enjoyed uh, the Digipack. So. Before we did this album, I listened. There's a lot of songs on here that I listen to all the time. Yeah. But to listen to it right from beginning to end. I haven't, this isn't one of the ones I listen to a lot beginning to end in the last like year or so. Like since we yeah. started the podcast, you're kind of focused on whatever you're focusing on you know what I mean whatever album we're doing I'm pretty much listening to and some of these ones kind of like I couldn't believe peace of mind I was listening to it and I was like I haven't listened to this from beginning to end in like a year probably yeah you probably listen to every single song on it but uh, I was listening to to tame a land and I was Mm. trying to remember the last time I listened to it which is weird I've listened to this so many times now though I mean just an insane amount of times to be honest (laughs) almost to the point where sometimes it becomes self-destructive because it skews you Oh, you know yeah, I, mean? yeah, I suppose so. Yeah. yeah, you get used to it. It's been you running together. Sick of it. There's a few little <laughs> funny things that, that people are going to think I'm crazy when I point out, but... Okay. Anyway. Peace so. of Mind from 1983. Yeah. Iron Maiden. So released May 16th, 1983, and recorded January to March of 1983. Mm. Um, Martin Birch's third album with them. I think this album sounds great. I hear people sometimes complaining about production on this album. I don't understand what you could complain about on this one. I really like the production on this album. Yeah. I think it sounds great. Sounds good to me. I mean, yeah. I don't know what people are. Is there? An, I think you know, people always love to pick apart yeah. stuff. I mean, but I think it sounds great. But I, I hear that every album. They're like, oh, the, you know, it seems That's like true. they're always not. <laughs> it's like yeah. you only hear people who don't like the production. No one, yeah. very rarely, some people come in and say it's well produced. But a lot well, of people, people always say, talk about Killers like as being or... a great production. But I yeah. think that's But then other people say it's too rough and it never really got to tell Number of the Beast. And, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I think, anyway, I think this album sounds great. Martin Birch. Yeah. Uh, follow-up to Number of the Beast. Yes. Um, I think this is a great follow-up. Like, you know, if you got into Maiden on Number of the Beast, this is about as good of a follow-up as you could imagine, I think. Yeah, you're in a good place. Yeah. And if you got into them with Iron Maiden mm. and then Killers and then into the number, number of the Beast, I think this is a, a great follow-up. I think everyone would be very impressed with this album when it came out. Yeah, I think so. Now, these albums were all out by the time I got into Maiden, so I got yeah. into them kind of all at the same time, you know that's what I mean? That's right, that's right. I never had that thing where I was waiting for Peace of Mind to come out and bought it. Yeah, so that would have been an experience. I kind of lumped this and Power Slave together because I always kind of got into them at the same time. Yeah. So. And a lot of people make the make the point that they're, that they're very similar. Yeah. Um, this album was almost called Food for Thought. Oh, thank God. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that could have been horrible. And then Steve came up with the idea of a lobotomy for Eddie. And they were sitting around um, during the writing phase of Peace of Mind in a pub. 
and uh, someone came up with the idea of like peace of mind. So, wow. Yeah, it ended up being peace Food of mind for instead. Thought. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, Lombotomy, Eddie, peace of mind, two albums after Killers. I mean, it's a lot better than something Food <laughs> yeah. for Thought, right? Well, that's because on the inside, uh, there's that picture. I don't know if that's what they had in mind, but the picture of them sitting around a table getting served a platter of brains. Oh. And I think that's where the food for thought, because they're about to eat brains, or it's like a pun. Yeah. But Peace of Mind's a way better name. I would agree. Although if this was called Food for Thought, and we were covering the album Food for Thought, and we went back and said this was almost called Peace of Mind, I wonder if we'd think the opposite. <laughs> I never noticed underneath the CD, look at that, the uh, the brain, the on, brain. The, on, the, on the platter. Yeah, there's a lot of brain stuff. Yeah. <laughs> well, I that's really the Peace of Mind. That. Peace of Mind, right? Yeah. Um. Yeah, great follow-up to Number of the Beast. This is like, you know, you're hitting Number of the Beast into this, and then you're right into Power Slave. Like, this is the beginning of their classic string of albums. Yeah. you know. Uh, well, I think Number of the Beast. Well, Killers. Yeah. Or I, I, <laughs> I kind of put this one as a funny time because it's sandwiched. It's it's almost like right in the middle. Of Beast of and Power, Power Slave. Yeah. yeah. And, and those two are kind of, you know, the, the Beast was the first Bruce. Power Slave was the peak. This, yeah. I don't know. I'd like to know how, how how you perceive or you know how it hit. Yeah. From a from a standing perspective. Well, I just think they came off yeah. Number of the Beast, and then you know they had all this brand new chemistry in the band. Yeah. And I think they just had like so many ideas. They were just like nailing these songs, and so many ideas, and so many great songs just coming out through these like three or four albums in a row, five, mm. six albums in a row, depending how you judge this phase of Maiden. Yeah. Um. This is their first time recording with. Nico. Nico. Yeah. Nico. I was I know, You're calling him. Still yeah. to this day, I'm still calling him Nico, even though I know it's Nico. Yeah. Nico McBreen. So this is their Nico. first album I still with call Nico, Nico McBreen. Yeah. I've, I've called him. I do Nico. sometimes, too. I don't know why. Are you sure it's... Uh, it's Nico. Yeah. I've yeah. heard him refer Nico. to himself as Nico. I suppose he would know. Because <laughs> <laughs> he was named after... Uh, his nickname was Nicky when he was a kid. His name ah. was actually Michael. Really? Michael McBreen, yeah. Well, At least it's not Paul. <laughs> Another Paul. Another <laughs> Paul. Another Paul. So this is his first time recording and performing with Maiden, sort of. Um, he was actually on stage with Maiden before this. Uh, he wore a devil mask on stage. This was before he was in a band. Actually, I have a clip of him talking about it. I was recruited to go on stage as a, as a devil. You know, oh, stick this mask on, Nick. Pop up, hold on that light, and on cue, you've just got to sort of move it through the audience. And it was great fun, you know. And of course, all the guys knew, what, you know, oh, that's Nick over there. Clive would be frying drumsticks at me and stuff, you know. So we, we really, you know, my introduction to the band was way before Number of the Beats, but that was my lineup, my actual first time on a public stage with the band. He did also, I read in a few places, he filled in on drums on a Belgian TV show, I think. They made a TV appearance mm. at some point, and he filled in. This is before he was officially in the band. Um, it's funny, though, because you think Iron Maiden comes out, Killers comes out, yep. the new guitarist, Adrian Smith. Mm. Beast comes out, new singer. Yeah. Bruce Dickinson. And then Peace of Mind comes out, and you got Nico McBrain, a new drummer. Yeah. So it's con- four albums, four different lineups. Yeah. Lots of turnover. That's right. So, That's right. And I think they're finally hitting, like, they click into their, like, 
awesome lineup here. And that's just the studio album perspective. If you think back to the early years, right? Back oh, yeah, to 1975, so it's just constant, right? Constant turnover. You know? So they really didn't cement a lineup until this album. Every every six months, Steve Harris is giving it a rose. <laughs> <laughs> Someone has to leave the band, you know? be a good reality show. It would. Another thing about this album, I think at this point, there's almost like no trace of the Diano era sound left. No. Like, Number of the Beast, there was a little bit of it there. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think you're kind of, like, full on into, like, the 80s maiden now. Mm. That sound. So January and February of 1982, this is the lead up to this album. Number of the Beast is recorded. Mm. February 25th, 1982, the Beast on the Road tour starts. March of 1982, March 22nd, Number of the Beast is released. December 10th, 1982, after 184 shows, the Beast on the Road tour ends. So that's in December 10th, the tent, the tour ends. This mm. is for the album before this. Then January 83, so they're on tour until December 10th. January 83, the band goes to a closed off-season hotel on the island of Jersey to write. Okay. So they're right off tour. They barely have yeah. a break. And then they're off to this island. Yeah, which one's the Isle of Jersey? Um, it's one of yeah, yeah. It's one of the Channel Islands. Okay, so there's it's one of the Jersey, Channel Guernsey, Islands, that's right. and the Isle of Man. Because there's the Isle of Wight. Everyone gets the the Isle of Man. Out of it. The Guern- Isle of Man is in between Ireland. Guernsey, and, yeah, yeah, and Jersey. Yeah, the Isle of Man. Islands. I know is the one where they have the bike rides in between Ireland and England. Yeah, I knew they had something but, like that. Yeah, there, some kind that's of the crazy bike okay. race. Then there's the there's the Isle of Wight, which is where I'm like, not sure you if know, that's a Channel Island or not. No, I think that's that's west or that's west of it. It's kind of up. I think that's it's in the North Sea. Yeah. Maybe. Oh, it is. Yeah. But, these but Jersey, are... Jersey's not a part of England? Jersey and Guernsey. Okay, so they're islands near the coast of Normandy, France. Oh. They're not a part of England or Great Britain. Yeah. It's a British crown dependency. No I like, way. I Googled all this. <laughs> wow. It's not a part of the United Kingdom and not, it's not even fully part of the European Union. That's right. Um, Not that at this, in 1983, that didn't matter. But uh, they go to this hotel, it's called the Hotel Le Chalet mm. in Jersey. So some sources that you'll read say it was in Guernsey. Um, I read a bunch of stuff online saying Guernsey. Uh, Bruce Dickinson said it was in Guernsey in the History of Iron Maiden Part 2. He's talking about Power Slave, but this is the same. They recorded Power Slave and Peace of Mind, or they wrote the albums Power Slave and Peace of Mind at the same place. Um, They even have, like, this graphic of a map with an airplane, like, flying, landing, and shows the island of Guernsey in the History of Iron Maiden documentary. But it's yeah. actually Jersey. Um, Steve Newhouse's book, he was there and he says Jersey. I was reading, I even read like one website where it was like really sloppy journalism and they were saying that this album was written in an abandoned hotel in New Jersey. Oh, okay. And then they said something about like American influenced, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I was like, I think those people don't really know what's no, going on. No, no, no. This is, this is very clearly old Jersey. <laughs> yeah, not the new one. The not the new one. one. Original Jersey. Jersey. Original Jersey. <laughs> Jersey know, classic. 100% Jersey. Jersey classic, yeah. This, this is all that new But I think Jersey. Bruce just, they interviewed him and he got the name wrong. Or he said yeah. the wrong name and then they ran with it for the documentary. But it's Jersey. Um, there is a chalet hotel in Guernsey. On YouTube, too, there's actually pictures of people with like, people have like done videos where they're like walking around the hotel. And mm. all the comments are like, Iron Maiden wrote their album there. I'm like, that's not the right hotel. Oh, my God. So it's the Hotel Le Chalet in Jersey. Yeah. Okay, so they go to this abandoned hotel. It's not abandoned. It's closed for the season. It's the off season. Yeah. They get the whole hotel rented out mm. so they can write. Yeah. Um. This is after, so the tour ends. They have, like, 
basically less than a month at home, maybe around a month off. And then they're immediately they go here, right? Mm. And everyone's like, why did they go to Jersey? Yeah. After being on tour, like, why not stay around England? So I read an interview with Steve Harris from this French metal magazine. Yes. Um, it's like an old magazine from 1983, and people had it scanned the pages of it and put them online. Um, and I got a quote from Steve Harris and says, In the UK, the government decided to get some pocket money by imposing scandalously on the artists. Thatcher and her mates steal from us over 80% what we earn. So we decided to go into exile. And we have to spend nine months a year out of the country. It's a bit difficult, but it's out of the question to give all our money to those bastards. Paradoxically, Jersey isn't considered to be part of the United Kingdom, and it's a wonderful island with loads of pubs. Wow. So it's basically a tax, you know, they're tax exiles, sort of. You always hear these bands moving, like being tax exiles, like David Bowie moved to Switzerland yeah. because of taxes. Yep. Uh, I got a quote here from Mick Jagger. This is from, now this is from 10 years earlier. He said, in those days in England, the high tax rate was 90%. So that's very hard. You make 100 pounds, they took 90. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. yeah now that's from the exile on Main Street when they were, lived in, they lived in France in this like villa. Yeah. In 1972 when they recorded Exile on Main Street. Yeah. And that's the whole reason they were there is because it couldn't be in the UK. But I believe a lot of artists in Europe or in the Netherlands or some like loophole there. In Ireland during the whole banking crisis in you know, 2008 and that age, when I was over there, um, there was a lot of focus on YouTube because they spoke out about a few things and people were like, you don't even pay taxes here. Oh, yeah. And then like it, it blew up. And like I, I remember Bono was talking about like tax havens and global elite. And he had his like company. His studio was in Ireland, but his headquarters was in the Netherlands. Okay, was, yeah. There was something of that vein. Yeah. I, can't, I can't, I don't know the exact details off the top of my head. But at the same time, when those articles were coming out, they were naming off English bands that were doing the same thing. They probably all were, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. if you try to tax millionaires 90% they're going to find a way not to pay <laughs> you're going to get nothing you know exactly. what i mean like it's it's kind of but it, but it was also very rich in ireland because they have such low corporate taxes so many uh headquarters go to ireland okay. and then draw their profits from the rest so you're all doing it and the beatles too i got a quote yeah. here from uh this is from bloomberg.com mm. they're talking about the beatles from the 60s and this is a quote and he said it says the top rate for british taxpayers in the mid 1960s reached 83% the wealthiest among them paid a 15% super tax on top of that, pushing taxes as high as 98%. Wow. And that's what George Harrison wrote that song, The Tax Man, the wow. Beatles song about. It's crazy. Um, so Peace of Mind and Power Slave, they're right in this hotel. They're technically not in the UK. They are they basically are if you look at a map, but yeah. technically they're not. Um, and then they go down south to record. Um, you know, Then they rehearse in the States before... The tour. So they're on the road for most of the year and out of the UK for most of the year. Yeah. But then again, like we're saying that now, I mean, they're 23, Nesbitt, right? Yeah. I mean, they're like, oh, I slept on a pile of bricks last night and I feel great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm 23. Oh, yeah. you were in a no, place. I'm just where, wondering if people are like, how come like they get off tour and yeah. immediately they leave the country again? Well, that's why. Mm. They rent this hotel in Jersey. They set yeah. up to write the album. Um, they do this again for Power Slave. I mentioned that earlier. Um, it's closed for the off season. It's not just the band either. They go down with like their whole crew mm. and Derek Riggs, sound engineer. Bruce, I had a quote from Bruce where he says, 24 guys with a 24-hour bar. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> And Nico says, we had the only 24-hour bar on the island. We didn't yeah. do any work for about four or five weeks. We played pool, table tennis, drank, went around the island checking out all the pubs and clubs. Cool. Which kind of makes sense because if you think you're – 
you know, you're on the yeah. Beast on the Road tour and you're touring, 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 touring. Totally. Traveling nonstop. Yeah. You get a little bit of a break and then immediately you're gone here to like blow off some I could steam. see, yeah, exactly. So. Totally. And relax. But not only that, you guaranteed like you know the way Harris is. They're probably meeting all the time and in between having a beer or whatever and being yeah. like, oh, I'm thinking about this song. I'm thinking yeah. about that. Well, they, had all, their, they had all their gear set up. Yeah. Ready to go at all times in mm-hmm. this hotel. So whenever someone had an idea, they would kind of get together. But apparently they didn't do that for like four or five uh, weeks. I've wow. got a quote, another quote here from Nico. We did this. Oh, fantastic. First trip to Je- Jer- um, from Jersey to NASA to do the album. We had five weeks rehearsal in, in Jersey. Well, we had two weeks, really, because we ended up three weeks partying at the bar. My goodness, we had the only 24-hour bar on the island. And uh, we funny, man, funny enough, we managed to cram 25 hours in a day. <laughs> so, there we are. 15 days before we're supposed to leave. 15 days. We hadn't even written any. Well, the boys had written something. We really hadn't rehearsed anything because we was partying too much and having a good time and all that good stuff. <laughs> oh, man. So, they basically go to there and they like party, yeah. their party for a long time. Um, and then, you know, they finally get some stuff written before they have to get down to the Bahamas mm. to record. So, uh, it must yeah. be like Smallwood shows up or whoever. It must be like, all right, kids, come on, <laughs> yeah. you're 23, like get back to work. No, 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 we got some ideas. Like, yeah. <laughs> they're all like, they're, they're all just beat out from yeah. like three weeks of probably been eating nothing but like pies in the pub, you know, just exhausted. Oh, yeah. So they're there for like a few weeks recording, mm-hmm. but really they wrote this whole album in like, he says, two, the last two weeks. Well, that's amazing. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you have that many people in the band and the, Chemistry still new, and mm. so many ideas. I think yeah. they've had no shortage of like ideas that they could, you know, flesh out into songs. Mm. A side note: so when t- Josephine Fairhead was the chambermaid in the hotel at the time when they were writing "Peace of Mind," um, and in <laughs> two thousand, she chambermaid. Turned, yeah, <laughs> go ahead. So I started researching Jersey, and there's like the Jersey news. Yeah. There's like a website where it has like news headlines, and that's what they call her in this like news. <laughs> The article. So there's an article from 2018, and she turned 90 years old. And on her 90th birthday, she got a card from Iron Maiden signed by the band, all wishing her a happy birthday. Nice. So I thought it was kind of cool. Wow. <laughs> so in case, that's another story of how Maiden are great guys. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's just, and it's probably like, just, you know, here's, here's, here's a couple hundred bucks now. Sign this NDA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I'd love to interview her for the podcast. I know. <laughs> what can you remember from those five weeks? Oh, my God. <laughs> I love that chambermaid. I know. What a great yeah, chambermaid. It's like the chamber pots and like... I have to beat out the curtains, exchange the mats, <laughs> beat the change rug, the chamber rugs. pots. I have to make sure the candles are out at night. <laughs> yeah. You know? It's like, what is going on? <laughs> so then they head, in February, they head down to Compass Point Studios in the Bahamas. Mm. To record. So that's where they recorded Power Slave in Somewhere in Time, too. And they went back to do Final Frontier, too, in 2010. So Compass Point Studios, we talked a bit about this in the Power Slave episode. Because they kind of did the same thing, wrote in Jersey and recorded in Nassau, the Bahamas, for two albums in a row. But this is the first one. So uh, Compass Point Studios is, they did ACDC Back in Black. Judas Priest, David Bowie, Tragically Hip, Rolling Stones. Like, it's a big studio that a lot of big names record at. Um, It was closed in 2010, (laughs) from what I read. This is a quote. Due to a a series of unfortunate incidents. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I remember I've talked about this on Power Slave. Yeah. 
I was rec- I was reading on a a sound engineer's bulletin board, like a forum or whatever. Or yeah. I guess they used to call them bulletin boards. And um, uh, Terry Manning, who's the manager of Compass Poise Studios, he commented on there and he said a series of incidents which had occurred in the recent past, which made it untenable to continue doing business in the Bahamas. All involved agreed that we could no longer bring our friends and clients into an atmosphere which we knew to be threatening. The incidents shall remain private at this time. Wow. So in 2010, which must have been right after they recorded Final Frontier, yeah, uh, the Compass Point shut down. But it wasn't them. No, it was I. No. I it was something to do with someone got assaulted or something. I can't oh, okay. I, from what I could pick up, but I couldn't find any concrete details on what happened. So they were in. This is another tangent. But another <laughs> tangent. That's a, it's a relevant tangent. Yeah. Um, so they were in Jersey for five weeks. They partied for three. They spent yep. two weeks rehearsing, practicing, writing, and then they went to the Bahamas. Then they went to the Bahamas to record. To record. At the oh, okay. That, yeah. That's yeah. Because I remember we went through that for Power Slave. Yeah. But that's yeah. That's a, a nice similar process. Yeah. Um. Another side tangent, yeah. um, Compass Point Studios is now Compass Point Beach Resort. And I checked uh, after that hurricane, the one that went through and like wiped out a big chunk of the Bahamas. Was that, oh, there's been so many hurricanes. It was like a few months ago. I can't remember. Oh, can't remember. The name of it. But the really bad one that like, remember it like wiped out that island. Yeah. Um, but I checked Compass Point Beach Resort is still fine. Still fine. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it made it through the hurricane okay. It's still open for business. So if you want to support the uh, economy of the Bahamas after the hurricane yeah. and also stay in a historic Iron Maiden location, go to uh, Compass Point Resort. Compass Point Resort. <laughs> I would love to do like an Iron Maiden vacation where you like, uh, well, that hotel's not there in Jersey anymore, but go to Jersey. Yeah. And then go to like Compass Point. You yeah. know what I mean? And just do all these like Maiden related things. Yeah, we already I d- did a whole bunch of the ones in London. I just got this picture of us going down and hanging out <laughs> on a beach and you being like, oh my God, this is where that happened. That's where I happened. And I'm like looking around, where's the bar? And your wife's just there rolling her eyes yeah. like, why did we come here? Or if me and you go there, <laughs> yeah. it's me and you in Maiden shirts yeah, that's on the right. beach. And on it's all beach. just like honeymooning couples around us. <laughs> yeah. and I'm like, what are you doing here? Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's like Maiden recorded here. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. So yeah, February 1983, Maiden goes to the Bahamas. Um, with Martin Birch, their crew. Derek mm-hmm. Riggs is w- Derek Riggs is with them in Jersey, and Derek Riggs is with them down here too. He's traveling with them. Yeah. Um, Steve Gadd, who's Nico's drum tech, says there were two or three weeks in Nassau before they played a note. So they got down there and nice. they just you know two or three weeks of partying again. Um, so after that grueling, like that's a really grueling tour. Yeah. And I think they need to blow off some steam. And it, <laughs> when you look at the timeline, it's like. Maiden, they did this crazy long tour, and then they had a few weeks off, and then straight back into writing, and straight into recording, and then straight yeah. back on the road. But, like, there's a lot of partying involved in there, oh, tons, you know what I mean? Tons. And there'd have to be, because, I mean, to get yourself They're sane also after 23. The I know. Yeah. They're and 23, in, right? Yeah, and you have a hotel to yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, on this island full of pubs. Yeah. And then you're flying down to, like, this tropical, like, paradise oh, to record God. an album. Like, I honestly, obviously, and you're, if you're that age, man, like, you're just yeah. go crazy. You go I crazy. Would. I can understand how some of these guys get carried away. I mean, now <laughs> I'd be like, ugh. You know when you go to a free bar, you're like, I'll have a couple of things, and you're like, I'll have a hangover. I know. When you're 23, you're like, I will drink anything. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to remember any of this. Man, <laughs> I know. Bruce tells a story in the history of Iron Maiden Part 2, how he spent days drinking these banana daiquiris and playing Connect Four uh, in this bar. Yeah. 
And there's all these mentions of banana daiquiris. If you read interviews for like, I read an interview with Nico, one with Dave Murray, one with yeah. Bruce Dickinson. They're always talking about banana daiquiris. What is a banana daiquiri? Is it a rum banana I think it's drink? like a rum, a, a blender drink. I think, yeah. With, I'm not sure exactly what it is. I think it's a frozen, like, blended yeah. drink. It's like one of these bananas things like, rum, yeah. it's like a pina colada, which I always heard about, but I didn't know until I first went to Cuba. Yeah. And now I know it's like a sugary, creamy yeah. rum drink. A banana <laughs> daiquiri. Yeah, I think it's yeah. like a banana thing. But anyway, the place they were drinking these daiquiris was this bar called the Traveler's Rest. Yeah. That's another thing that I Googled, spent more, way, more, way more time way than more I should time. have Googling. Yeah. So um, this, it was called the Traveler's Rest. Um, and I researched it, and it's still open. It's been on the go since 1972. It changed its name to the Traveler's Restaurant for a few years. And now, if you go to their website or look them up, they're under new management as the Traveler's West. And it's still open. And apparently it looks almost exactly the same as it did. Like, I've seen pictures from back then and pictures from now. It's still pretty much wow. the same. Still famous for banana daiquiris, and people still play Connect Four and stare at the ocean. No way. <laughs> yeah. So, again, if you're in the Bahamas, a very maiden-related uh, destination. Yeah. So, you could stay at Compass Point Resort and then go okay. to this Traveler's West place and drink banana daiquiris and play Connect Four. Yeah. <laughs> like Iron Maiden did. <laughs> oh my god I could see a very maiden themed uh, Bahamas you could. vacation is there a Connect 6 you, you win 3 in a row you got 666 six, six, you, a Connect you know. 6 would be almost impossible that you get 6 in a row yeah because that's right Connect 4 it would be so easy to block each other it would right <laughs> that's the point you play Connect 6 and drink banana daiquiris until someone gets <laughs> drunk enough that they lose a game they of lose Connect 6 every game <laughs> yeah Nassau Bahamas they record the album then they go to New York to mix it at Electric Lady Studios. That's where they mix the album. So that's a studio built by Jimi Hendrix in 1970. Wow. But I think Jeremy, Jimi Hendrix like barely used it. I think he died a couple of weeks after the studio was built. But it was built by Jimi Hendrix. Um, April 1983, April 11th, Flight of Icarus single comes out. Nice. May of 1983, May 16th, 1983, this album comes out. And then June 20th of 83, The Trooper comes out as a single. And Peace of Mind peaks at number three on the UK album charts, uh, number 14 on the Billboard chart in the USA. And Kerrang! magazine in 1983, they have this like listener or reader poll, and it gets voted the number one greatest metal album of all time. Wow. Yeah. Of all time. Yeah. But I mean, that's probably because Iron Maiden just dropped a new album and everyone's like blown yeah, away. Yeah, blown right? away. But Yeah. So that's the history of, like, how this album came to be. Nice. It's a bit of a complicated, like, process. Yeah, it is. As far as, like, going somewhere. But it's a pretty awesome process if you're in a band. (laughs) It's deadly. But, you know, it's... uh, It's way better than, like, holing up in someone's basement studio and (laughs) recording. Oh, man. To to be able to go to an island and just drink after a tour. It just goes to show what a success the band is. Yeah. After Number of the Beast that, you know, a record company is going to pay you to do... To rent out a whole hotel with 20 people. Yeah. Or however many people. And then send you down south for like weeks to record. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, it is. It is. But you also can look at it from different ways. I mean, they also want to make these guys feel great. They also want to let other bands that are up and coming see how they're being treated. And yeah. incentivize them to work harder. And You know, there's a whole chain there. It's like a yeah. whole process. But still, if you put out an album and it's like yeah. not doing very well. Oh yeah! Or if you're on your fourth album and you're just still trying to like, oh break, man, you can see that Maiden's really taken off at this point, mm. just by how the record company treats them. You know what I mean? Totally. So uh, 
They yeah. build them as one of their up and coming big ones, you know. Yeah. The whole Nico joining the band and the impact of that. We talk about that one in the next one because we we'll get into. Yeah. That. Okay. Yeah. Let's get yeah. right into the tracks. Yeah, so we've we'll been talking the... uh, a lot about the album and not really getting into the tracks yet. Yeah. Um, and we'll, yeah, next ep- next episode we'll get into the drummer we'll changeover. We'll get into Clive leaving and Nico. Yeah. Coming on because I got a bunch of information about that. I've read and read and read about that. We'll go into it. <laughs> yeah. Although, is the opening of the album the drum intro? Is that a statement? Is that a? I new, think so. So yeah. okay, let's get into All it. Right. Where Eagles Dare. Where Eagles Dare. Six minutes, eight seconds, written by Steve Harris. Okay. Well, he gets the writing credit, but I, you know, I think it was a. There's more than just Steve Harris involved in the writing on this, but he primarily wrote it. Yeah. This is also the name of my all-time favorite Misfits song. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Unrelated. Which has a great lyric, an omelet of disease awaits your noontime meal. <laughs> an omelet of disease. Yeah, it's just another tangent. But there's a Misfits song called uh, We're Eagles Dare. <laughs> I don't understand that has anything to do with eagles. It has absolutely nothing, nothing to, to do, do with this. It. I just, that's a side note. Side note. But there's more than one song called We're Eagles Dare. Cool. So after Invaders, which is the opener of the last album. Yes. This is, you know, Invaders, people tend to, like, not like that much. Mm. This is, as far as, like, an opener, this yeah. is a big step up. Yeah, it's a big statement yeah. right at the gate. Yeah, I think so, too, with that yeah. drum intro. It's like, here's yeah. the new drummer. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and it's and it's such an epic track for this era, too. Yeah. You know? So the the intro that you're talking about, this is the drum intro. I think it is a statement. I think you're right. Yeah. They're making a statement with their new drummer. I know. And and yeah. if anything, you know, as the album goes on, the bass overwhelms, right? But in the beginning, it's just all yeah, drums. It's just this huge epic, you know? And absolutely. I just feel like it's a statement right And this is like the first time people are hearing the new drummer, except for the Flight of Icarus single, which came out before this. But, you know, you get the album, you put it on, and boom. It feels different than Clive. Yeah. Like, this doesn't sound like something that Clive would play. I no. think this is, like, Nico's style, like, coming through. Yeah. Making a statement, like, loud and clear. Based off a movie, Where Eagles Dare, um, which I watched. I watched it a couple of days ago, actually. Um, it's a step up of, from a lot of the war movies from that era. Yeah. Um, it has Richard Burton and Clint Eastwood in it. Yeah. Um, the lyrics straight up describe the movie. They're closing in. The fortress is near. It's standing high in the sky. The cable car is the only way in. It's really impossible to climb. The movie, there's a, a German fortress up on a mountain. Yeah. And these, like, commandos are trying to get in. And there's a cable car is the only way to get up to this, like, mountain top castle. And they sneak in and, you know, there's a lot of uh, setting bombs. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, those bombs that are, like, eight or nine sticks of dynamite with a little timer on them. Yeah. There's a lot of those being put around all over the place. Yeah. Um, Is it a true story? Is it like a, was it like a POW rescue or something? No, they're trying to break into, I'm trying to think how to say it without spoilers. They're trying to break into this castle because they have a captured, there is a captured prisoner in there that they're trying to break out. Yeah. But it's much more complicated than that. There's a lot of like. Intrigue. Yeah. And there's a lot of like 
you know, spies and double agents and whatever. But like Hitler shenanigans. <laughs> without without trying to like give the movie away, there's a lot more to it than what it yeah. sounds like. Um, it's a really good movie. I watched it a couple of days ago, um, and I was like probably a third of the way into it, and all of a sudden I was like, I saw this movie before, and I saw it when I was like a kid. Yeah. When I was a kid, when VHSs and VCRs first came out, yeah. Every Saturday, I remember me and my dad used to rent like these war movies. So like the Dirty Dozen, this one, like the Guns of Navarone, yeah, uh, the Longest Day, yeah. yeah. But this was when I was like ten, eleven, twelve years old, and so I must have seen this like thirty years yeah. ago. The Man Who Would Be King is another great one. I never saw it. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I was watching this movie and all of a sudden I was like, this looks familiar. And then as it went on, I was like, oh, I totally saw this before when yeah. I was like a little kid. It's a really awesome movie. Yeah. Uh, it's a really cool thing to make a movie about. And it is based on the movie because you read online, some people are like, it's based on the book and not the movie. But you hear Bruce say this when he plays it live. All right. Let's talk about how Clint Eastwood uh, won the war. Don't mention the war. Where Eagles Down! Which is funny. He says Clint Eastwood. Like he's making a joke. Yeah. When they play live, there's a backdrop of the, yeah, the, you know, the cable Alps, car isn't it? exploding, yeah. and that's a scene right out of the movie. Yeah. And that ja- that coat that he has on yeah. is right what they're wearing in the movie when they're trying to infiltrate the base and try to escape from the base. Cool. Um, it's a great movie, great song. Um, I've been to B- Bavaria and uh, had a great time there. Um, I was in, where is it, Munich in a little town called Pola. Anyway, um, yeah, awesome spot. Yeah, I, but I didn't ride a cable car. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. I read Martin Popoff's book. He has an interview with Blaze Bailey. So he found out when they're recording the X Factor. Blaze found out about this song, um, that there's this huge fight between Maiden and the record company, and the record company is like dead set against opening the album with the drum intro, and there's a big fight and ended with Maiden basically saying like from now on. Well, they got to open it the way they wanted. Yeah. And they basically said, from now on, no one from the label has any say in anything. Yeah. We record what we want, we put your co- our cover on it, and we deliver it to you. Yeah. And that's where this all kind of started. According to this interview with Blaze Bailey, he said, yeah. like, this big fight about opening the album with this yeah. drum solo. Yeah. Isn't that so offensive? That you're like you're 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 uh, an executive who, yeah, you have an opinion on how things sell and stuff. That's fine, but this is art. Like yeah, you they, can't come in and go, hey, uh, could you put another layer of paint on that? Uh, everyone wants Lisa, to have their greasy know? little fingers on it yeah. so they can say that they contributed to it, right? I think that's what it is. <laughs> yeah. Steve Harris, I have a quote from him, too. He says, this song was done in two takes. Really? Yeah, so that's pretty crazy. Um, and Nico did a talk at his Drum One drum shop in Manchester. Remember, yeah. we never went there after. No. A while back, he did this talk there. It's on YouTube, and he tells a story about how he came up with the intro. Um, according to Nico... Steve Harris basically came up with that drum intro. Um, Nico had, like, this super complicated intro written, and he basically was using, like, every mm. drum in his drum set. And Steve Harris basically came up to the drums and hummed and, like, tapped out with his fingertips this, like, this yeah. intro. It was much simpler than what Nico had. Nico had this, like, crazy fail done. Yeah. And then Bruce kind of chimed in with his input for, like, the rest of the drums as the song goes mm. through. And Nico eventually came up with this intro that everyone liked based on Steve's idea and Bruce's mm. input. So it was kind of like a team thing. It wasn't just Nico sat down and came up with this, like, beat. Oh, it's awesome. So that's pretty cool. I am 
Blaze Bailey. You're listening to Talking Maiden, the podcast of the beast, possibly the best podcast in the world. Bruce's book that just came out is biography, autobiography. He has a quote. This is a quote from his book. The opening drum sequence to Where Eagles Dare I can take partial responsibility for. It was based on Cozy Powell's intro to Stargazer by Rainbow, although it's the effect rather than the notes played that I was after. So this is the band Rainbow with Ronnie James Dio, Richie Blackmore. And this is the song that Bruce is talking about. And this is the drum part that he's talking about that he kind of wanted to copy the feel of. So that's where Bruce was kind of like, I want something that feels like that, like an intro yeah. where it comes in and yeah, then just the, the band. A strong in. drum intro. Is really yeah, yeah. Was yeah. kind of like a, with just drums. Yeah. And then everything coming in. So that's what he says in his book anyway. Yeah. Good. So we got Rainbow. another Rainbow lawsuit coming. Rainbow is awesome. <laughs> another lawsuit coming. <laughs> yeah. Rainbow is actually named after the Rainbow Bar and Grill. Did you know that? No, I yeah. did not. Where's that? In Los Angeles. Cool. On the strip. Yeah. <laughs> Good to know. Um, And Bruce also says, we toyed with different things, and I mentioned that there was a terrific Tom Tom fill. I remembered an obscure hit from guitarist called Gordon Giltrap. And Nico used to be the drummer for Gordon Giltrap. So this is the Tom fill in a song called Heart Song by Gordon Giltrap. And this is also kind of where Bruce kind of got the idea for some of the drumming in the song that he kind of gave to Nico to flesh out into the drums for the song. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a bit, that's pretty generic, like little Tom Phil. Yeah. He said in his book that that's where he yeah. kind of... Uh, well, it, it, the, the the Tom Phil there, you can hear that in the song. Yeah. And in that little part at the end, they saved that for Dance of Death. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then he said, we took that fill and infilled it with triplets before it goes into the main riff. So basically, they came up with this drumming part yeah. together, and Nico practiced it for days to get it down. And he mm. practices and practices and practices and finally gets to play it. And then they decide they're going to open every... Yeah, every show on this tour with the song, yeah. and it goes like, "Oh man!" Yeah, because the, and they play to this day, work, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, and the awesome. legacy of the beast. This is one of the highlights as far mm-hmm. as like when a song starts. It makes such an impact when you hear that drum beat come in. Yeah, it's like wow. I was surprised. Remember how surprised we were when it popped up on this set list? Yeah, we were, and uh, you know, it's it's such an iconic song. Yeah, that I was glad to see it. And yeah, Nico at his age now. I mean, it's got to be tough. Oh yeah, like yeah, yeah. That's like. That's gonna be really demanding to play. It is, but it's it's such it's probably the most iconic song for him in my mind. It's like because. Nico's trademark yeah. song. Well, one of probably is as far as like drumming goes. Yeah. If you asked a Maiden fan like what song kind of shows yeah. off Nico's drumming, I think mm-hmm. most people pick this. Yeah, and the the, the drums, drums are so. It's not just the in, yeah. yeah yeah they're dominant the whole song. Yeah. It's not just the intro. And then when it goes into the instrumental yeah. part in the song, it's just like yeah, it's just crazy drumming all the way through too. Yeah. 
for an epic track um, this early on too. Um, I don't know. There's there's something about this track that that I find it's an epic, uh, but it also it, it, I want to talk about after how in some cases I find it's a little lesser than some of the other epics. Okay. But Bruce's vocals in this are amazing. Can you yeah. tease them up? Yep. I love where he hit that note at the end. That's crazy. Yeah. There's a lot going on in this Pe- song. This is peak Bruce. It is. Although the peak started, like, in Number of the Beast and hasn't ended yet. <laughs> yeah. There's, uh, there's there's an aspect to this where, and when we get into the solos, you'll see it too. Like, they just they just don't let up. You know what I mean? Like, Nico's it's just... unrelenting. Yes. <laughs> which is good and bad in some ways. Like, yeah. sometimes I find it's just so intense. It's like this it's, onslaught. It is, and it's so long and, and crazy. It must just be, like, so exhausting to play it. Oh, my God, yeah. 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 But it's great. I just love It's really well composed. The guitar solos are great. Yeah. Dave Murray's solo in this one, really, like, composed and unique sounding for him. Yeah. Like, I think this is one of his better solos. And there's a dual guitar harmony part with machine gun yeah. sound effects laid over it. Amazing solo. Um, that whole the, instrumental part I just love. I love it too. But the machine guns, like that's the one thing I don't like. About yeah. It's, I'm so used to hearing them now. Yeah. But it is kind of unnecessary. Well, I have two problems with it. Like at the end of that solo there, they go into a lull. You could yeah. have brought it in there, but they time the machine guns pretty well with the solo. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But for me, like, so is that just a, a machine gun sound that's added yeah. over? Yeah. So I got a couple of problems with it. Um, one, the song is so intense through it anyway. There's so much drumming going on. It's not like you need it in this song. Yeah, it is almost kind of clutters it up a bit. That's sound. right. Yeah. And Where Eagles Dare, and, you know, when I was reading through the lyrics and, you know, we talked a while ago, I think, in another episode about kind of the movie. I never watched the movie, but I know about the, the movie. Yeah. And I don't know how this fits into it. Maybe there's machine guns in the movie. Uh, maybe there is. But to me, I always picture where Eagles Dare. I always picture like a, a two planes fighting in the sky. So it's kind of a little bit out of. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, a little bit yeah. out of the. No, there's thing. a lot of shooting machine guns in the movie. Yeah. A lot of shooting submachine guns. But when you hear that, you think of a of a dogfight. 
See, I don't because I already kind of knew what the yeah. song was about. I know, but for me... I know, because they're talking about eagles yeah. and stuff. And I that's guess right. the sound of the machine guns, too. Yeah. That's something about the movie. There's a lot of uh, shooting... You know those MP40 submachine guns, the German ones? Yeah. There's a lot of shooting those without reloading, like shooting and shooting and shooting. Oh, yeah. yeah. I shot one of those when I was in Vegas at a gun range. Yeah. It was an actual, like, World War II MP40 German submachine gun. Wow. And you can empty a clip in those, like, in no time. No way. Yeah. And in the in the movie, they're just like shooting around corners inside the castle in these firefights. And I'm like, man, he didn't reload for a long time. Yeah, I know. Anyway, never mind. You're the guy that's watching the movie, and someone's going, "Oh, that's unrealistic." And you're going, "I know." And he's going, "How could Angelina Jolie shoot like that? She's like 85 pounds." And you're like, "I know." Not only that, she fired 12 rounds. That's only an eight standard, you know. But I find it's just too much noise. Yeah, I know. It's unnecessary. I think. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a cool sound effect. It's a cool concept. I just sometimes feel there's so much going on here. And yeah. uh, look, Where Eagles Dare, excellent tune. Loved it in the set list. I'm not trying to pick fault with it. I'm not trying to pick. But, you know, when people pick their most epic tracks in Maiden, I don't know. Like, I wonder how highly this was rated on our, you know, top tracks list. Oh, like, right. It's, it's not, to me, it's not like something people put up, right? It's Do you not... want me to look it up? Hold on a second. So, talkingmaiden.com slash stats. This is the result of our best of Iron Maiden yeah. Listener poll. Yeah, we had loads where of everyone voted. chime in. So, Where Eagles Dare is number 12. 12. Okay, number 12. So it's, it's up there. It's up there. Yeah. So, it's in the top. Yes. Yeah. Tracks. So, uh, it's up there. It's Not up quite there. in the top 10. But. Yeah. I wouldn't put it in my top 12. I really love this track. I wouldn't put it in my top. But it'd be in my top 20 or 30. But yeah, I mean, me too. It's just, I, 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 there's so much I love about it. Yeah. I love there's the so many intro. Songs. I love the It's not that vocals. I don't like the song. It's that there's yeah. so many songs I love more. Yeah. That I put above this. But it's a really great song. Yeah. And, and a great opener. And it's epic and it's high energy, but yeah. almost like it doesn't benefit from the epicness. It's it no could have been shortened. Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. No, it's not. Right. So, yeah, or Hallowed. Or even the Talisman, I think. Or Hallowed be as well. Nothing. Mm. I don't think it's compared or to Or Passchendaele or, you know, there's Hallowed so many the name, compared yeah. to. Yeah. Although it is really solid. It's a great track. Yeah. I, like now, you know, I know. <laughs> all of a sudden we're like knocking, yeah. we're, you know. Yeah. We're That's not. the thing when you're talking about an album that's as classic as this. Yeah. If even when you do criticize things, you're like, maybe this isn't a ten, maybe it's only a nine point seven. Yeah, you know, know what I mean? Like, I know. Kate Upton had yeah. uh, she had chocolate on her lip. <laughs> yeah, gross. <laughs> I'm not kissing her. Yuck! Get that Nutella off your lip. Then come talk to me. Well, this is a great classic Maiden song. Uh, another thing I love is the fast singing. His singing is like the syllables of his singing, and then he ends with like a really long sustained note. It kind of matches the frantic drumming. Yeah. And it feels very, like, rhythmic, which is kind of cool. Very intense song. It's an intense track. Yeah. It's a good opener yeah. for And an all epic. the riffs, everything just lines up perfectly. Mm. It's like a masterpiece. I it think. is a This really is a masterpiece. Good. It's a really and good a classic. track. No question. Yeah. Yeah, it's a perfect opener for this song. Oh, yeah. It's and great. it fits the theme. Yep. And if anything, the one thing that I find I don't notice much in this is the bass line. And... I find that really permeates through the whole album. Yeah. Like the bass line takes over yeah. later. There's so, a lot of uh, yeah. really great bass playing. Yeah. The bass so playing on the kind song of a little is great too if you pay attention to it. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's but just I mean, the so overpowered with the vocals With this song, you're just like drums, yeah. drums, drums to me. Exactly. Which yeah. is why I don't like the machine guns. Yeah. Because I'm like, really if, you're, if you're like yeah. beating away like he is, and you're like, oh, what are you doing? Oh, we're dubbing machine guns in the middle. I'm like, what? I would what? rather have it instead of bringing machine guns in if they dropped everything out and just put the drums and he did some kind of fill in there. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? 
That's the right. sound of like machine. Yeah, I'm yeah, asking, yeah. You gotta, play harder, play better. Yeah, you got to play this machine gun <laughs> yeah. sound. On this. Playing this super intense track, I want you to take 30 seconds in the yeah. middle, and I want you to play twice as many notes <laughs> to make it sound like a machine gun, and then go right back into it. It's crazy. No, I'm just we're just nitpicking about like what ifs, but yeah, it's a great song. Awesome, love yeah. it. So uh, that's about all we're going to get into for this episode, I think. Yeah. We're uh, at like almost an hour, so. We're pretty well there, yeah. right? Next episode, we'll get into the Clive Burr, <laughs> Nico McBrain. Yeah. What happened there? And Revelations. And another, Revelations. Another crappy track. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then Flight of Icarus. Decent one. I've listened to it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. That's about all I got to say about where Eagles Dare. Yeah. Interesting uh, time. Um, you know, I would... I'll save my kind of summary to the end, but it's a it's a a funny time wedged between two iconic albums. Yeah, uh, this the, one I feel yeah. like kind of does fall. Like everyone knows Beast and everyone yeah. knows Power Slave. Yeah, and everyone knows this one too. But it seems like Beast and Power Slave are more well known than this album for some reason. That's right. Like everyone knows this one. Yeah. The other two are so well known. Yeah, they're like pillars. Like if you asked someone who's kind of knows a bit about Maiden to yeah. start naming off albums, they'd probably say like Number of the Beast and Power Slave. Yeah. Probably the first two. But then when you look back at the end, which we will, there's almost more iconic tracks. Yeah, know, I know. It's such ways, a great right? album. Yeah. This is the birth of the Trooper, which is the Maiden oh, yeah. song. Yeah. So. Oh, there's so many songs on so this much, that are just right? like classic, classic yeah. Maiden. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, yep. good work on the intro. I look forward to hearing the Nico versus Clive stuff. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of uh, sides to stories. It's a lot of sides. <laughs> but I think I got it all figured out. There's a four-dimensional cube. There's like many different sides to the story and many different uh, stories about what happened. Yeah. You you had to do Research. some groundwork in, in Guernsey. Of, uh... <laughs> they weren't even here. <laughs> There's a lot of uh, Googling and looking at like archived articles. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> right on. All right. So TalkingMaiden.com. Yeah, get some Facebook, slash Twitter. Talk if you want to leave a message. Yeah. TalkingMaiden.com slash stats, which we always forget to mention. Yeah. That's the result of our poll if you want to see how people yeah, – There's like, all these graphs there, like bar graphs, and yeah. you, know, you can see Nerd stuff. what people voted for. Cool. Um, com slash beers for the list of Plus beers. Beers. Yeah. We added a good one today, eh? Circle yeah, that was back delicious. on this. That was a land wash. The Breakfast Stout yeah. Land Wash Brewery. Um, great time uh, at that brewery. I love it. So when I even got a few cans, we'll do them in the next little while. That's lot. great. Because when they opened, they were like sold out of cans all the time. Oh, man. They still they, are. They used to come out with cans, and like that mm. day, they'd be sold out. They're so popular. This one's great. Yeah. Awesome. Zero's Rock Breakfast Stout. Well, Landwash Brewing. Okay. Fantastic. Until next time, up the irons, down the hops. <laughs> <laughs>